Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Radio Motherboard. I'm staff writer Jason Kebler, and I've got a very special gift for you guys today. We've finally gotten our editor-in-chief, Derek Mead, to make a podcast. How, how does it feel? Uh, it feels delightful, stressful, and nostalgic, because I love talking about Rocco. Yeah, I've got to say that as an eight-year-old, I never took any deep meaning from Rocco, and I just thought it was a great show, and I never went back and listened or rewatched it in college or as an adult, and so I just have these memories of a wallaby with a very bad life sort of stumbling through his, his adult dystopia, but I don't ever think about what it was trying to say about society. So I think I'm like the kid who whose parents probably understood what their, what Joe Murray was trying to say there, but never got it myself. Yeah, I think uh, recently as I was watching the show again and thinking of the show, I realized it had had a profound influence in the way I think about the modern world and just like the, the commodification of everything and that just the constant pace of like, here's some device that will make your life better and easier, and then it never actually does. Um, what's interesting is that talking to a lot of people about this show they all just talk about how stressful it was or how like anxious uh, Rocco was and how his life is just constantly falling apart, which after talking to Joe Murray, the creator, um, that was kind of the point. He said it was basically his own. Uh, that was why he did it. Yeah. So why did you decide to do this podcast? Because it wasn't because <laughs> Rocco's Modern Life is coming back, right? So I uh, originally did this podcast, I think, because you and I were talking about um, Rocco somewhere. And I was like, man, I should just email the guy jokes. I always want to talk to him um, and send him an email out of the blue. And it turned out that uh, he's actually in the midst of making a Rocco special, an hour-long special that's going to be on Nickelodeon um, at the end of or at the beginning of next year, um, I believe. I don't think there's an air date yet. Uh, so I emailed him, and he was happy to chat and said he wanted to talk about this. So one time when he was in New York to visit his daughter, which is going to um, she's going to um, college out here, uh, I met him up at a hotel. And naturally, in the most fitting fashion possible, the only spot that we could find in the hotel um, to record this was right outside of a marketing conference for like basically like really sad people in suits that were just wandering around um, talking buzzwords the entire time. So apologies to all of you out there for the occasional uh, elevator noise, but considering that Rocco pioneered the idea of a lizard people working in faceless <laughs> corporations over and over and as a constant trope throughout the show, it felt like the perfect backdrop to be talking to Joe um, on the eve of a new special. Did they reach out to you and say that they wanted to explore this, or how did that how did that come together? Yeah, no, I got a phone call one day. I'm, I'm working on a PBS show that uh, we're going to be going into production on probably in a couple months, and um, 
I was in the middle of that. So I'm in PBS land. And, um, and yeah, a phone call comes in from Nickelodeon. And it was the farthest thing from my mind. I, I told the, it was Christmas Cardi who called and said, uh, would you be open to exploring doing some more Rocco? And uh, I was really shocked. Because <laughs> people keep, they keep writing in, you know, to me like, on Facebook and everywhere else and say, when are you doing more, are you going to do some more Rocco? And I said, no, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. <clears throat> Because I, I just see what what they were doing on Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't fitting into their programming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we didn't part ways on a very good note. I can mm -hmm. say that diplomatically. But the same people are not there anymore. So it's kind of a new yeah. new world. I mean, it's cool because uh, I mean, talking about right when you said that you're bringing the show back when they called you, you had such a big smile on your face, like you could see, you know, did you feel like it wasn't done yet before? You wanted to keep doing it, but it didn't feel like the No, right. actually, no, I, I, one of the first things I said was, I, I'm really proud of what we've done, and I think it's, I think it's a good place to leave off. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't have any need, like, because he said, well, in Hey Arnold, there was a, sh there was an episode that they felt was unfinished, and they want to go back and we explore it, and I said, well, the last episode of Rocco, they went flying off into space in a rocket, you know. And uh, I said I wanted it to be different and stay true to what we did with the show, which we, we broke some ground on it, I thought, and uh, at least at the time. And uh, they said, no, 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 we want to we stay true to it. Mm -hmm. So there were some things, you know, in the writing that we had to kind of battle for. But uh, yeah, I mean, what is the? I mean, what is it that they're? I mean, what did you have to push for? Do you mean? Well, happens? I don't know if I want to go into specifics about it because there's a major, uh, there's a major point in it that's kind of controversial. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they seem to be open to, to, uh, you know. Taking some chances with stuff right now. That's great. I yeah, mean. they're they're uh, you know they're they're kind of feeling their way around to see where their audience is and what they're going for these days. And uh, they've noticed that that a lot of them are are uh, going after this stuff that we did in the '90s, and so they're well, maybe we should try it again. Yeah. Let's see. So I said, no, I, I really don't. And I was really worried that, that uh, bringing it back would, would kind of mess with it, mm -hmm. you know? Like, what if we, because we had such an amazing crew. We had, we had you know, these, this crew that went on to, you know, Steve Hellenberg did SpongeBob, and, you know, all the, all the directors all went on to do their own shows. I mean, it was just crazy. So I was like, how, how can we compete with the type of work that was being done by the, by the crew? And so I was like, I, I don't really want to do it. So, I said, so we, we have two of the writers that were on the original show uh, wanting to come back and write on it. Yeah. That's great. And then we started thinking, well, you know, it's modern life. We can, we can address what's modern now, you know, and, and take the same approach that we did 
with modern life as the way it is now. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, it's, it's so funny to me because when I had first emailed you to want to talk to you, I had no idea that there was a reboot coming, but I had been talking to a friend of mine um, just about the show and how it was representative of modern life, which of course is in the name. So that was a, one thing I was really curious about and have been for a long time. It's like, what was kind of the, the genesis of the show initially, or why did you focus on kind of this young adult living a weird kind of modern lifestyle um, versus something that feels more children focused, I guess? It was, uh, I think, well, it, it was a lot of what I was going through at the time, so <laughs> I felt like it was a little autobiographical. But, um, and it was never any talk of uh, kids may not relate with someone having a credit card problem or something. <laughs> you know, some of our issues we had in the show were like, uh, not kid oriented, you know, they were modern life of a 20 year old or you know, late teens, early 20s. See, Rocco, you didn't pay for it, you charged it. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that at all. It's like the pace of change is so fast now that how do you even put that together for a show to have it try to stay relevant. Like what are the what are the ways you're looking at the modern world to make it feel like it'll last longer than it actually does because it changes so quickly. Well, I mean, we didn't we didn't do very much parody. We were like parody to me is really it really dates entertainment, because you know, you're gonna you're doing a parody of something that's right now. So um, so you try and see a trend, how far the trend has been going. That's good. Does uh, Rocco learn how to use the internet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, he doesn't like the internet. He's, Heffer and Fobert are embrace the new world, and Rocco is still kind of like, I don't know about this. this what are these, uh, what's a text? <laughs> Because it was, it was funny to, to sit down and say what was not around in the 90s, you know. I think I was one of the first ones who had actually had a, 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 we called them mobile phones back then. We didn't call them cell phones. And mine was like the size of a, a GI walkie-talkie, you know, that I stuck in my pocket. But, uh, yeah, how was that process? I mean, did you guys have to, like, list out everything that had come since then? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how would you uh, describe your own relationship with technology and gadgets and things? Well, I don't own a TV right now, so. but um, I still watch documentaries and stuff on my laptop. I have an outdated iPhone that I can't even get apps for anymore because it's outdated. <laughs> and I'm too, it's like we made a we made a joke in, in the Rocco special. It's like, what a, what a, uh, it's genius, it's plan of obsolescence. And I still want this to be, I like the way that the show was, where it's still gonna be something that's gonna resonate years down the road. You know, we don't wanna completely do something that's like just right now and that's gonna go away. We're not gonna do something on Pokemon Go. So <laughs> I don't know how long that's gonna be around, but 
I don't even know if people remember it by the time this podcast comes out. <laughs> Probably not. But there's also some other things about uh, human nature that has changed. What do you What do you think? I, mean, I don't want to talk too much about it because I, mean, I, I, I want people to watch it, but it's... Yeah. it's uh, no spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers. It's... Um, I'll just say it's it's about change in people's lives and, and and the world is changing so much faster than even it was in the 90s. In the 90s it seemed like it was fast. But it was, uh, well, that is precisely the reason that uh, you know that I wanted to, I thought of talking to you and the reason I've always liked the show is that the 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 show definitely has this strong undercurrent of like is the modern world something that we actually want it's just all this chaos there's all these new things and everything is when it's new that means it's good um and that's kind of the cycle we're going through now where there's this constant pace of change and so it definitely resonates very well currently in this in the same way it did then and uh it's kind of odd because a lot of things it doesn't feel dated at all and that's what's the most fascinating to me i mean how what was it in your mind is the thread that carries all the way through there. It's it's strange. It's kind of strange that we deal with modern life and, and it doesn't feel dated. It's kind of strange. I, I don't know how we ended up doing it. We didn't do, except for like, you know, like the the uh, the one with the big screen TV. Press cancel. Press cancel. Congratulations, you have just purchased the Hibachi Super Duper Monopoly with video game interactive and evening popcorn dispenser. Hey, hey, hey! I'm not paying for this. I ordered Mr. Sensible. Mr. Sensible! In the episode, uh, Rocco buys a TV, but then that uh, he accidentally gets upgraded to this Super TV. He wanted Mr. Sensible. Yeah, he wanted Mr. Sensible. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then the machine, of course, is he's trying to buy it from a kiosk, which seems fairly forward-thinking right. for the 90s. He's trying to buy it from a kiosk, and he keeps touching the screen, and keeps upgrading and upgrading, and then he has his TV that's the size of his house, basically. Right. And Heifer, naturally, gets so addicted to watching it that he gets sucked into the TV. Right. And there's a point where uh, Rocco drops the line that everyone's mom has said, my mom said it watching this show, is, don't sit so close to the TV. And... I died laughing at that because that sentiment has gone out the window a long time ago because we're all staring at screens all day long now and kids are playing with iPads at two or three years old. I mean, you know, that is one of the things that has changed so much since then. And I don't know, how do you feel about that? Someone who makes television and works on stuff, we have screens everywhere now. What does that even mean? Yeah, I have a hard time with that because I, I'm, you know, I've got kids of my own. I've got my two teenage daughters, but also I have a toddler, a three-year-old and a newborn baby. And uh, the screens are everywhere. And and my son, you know, because you, you're on, you're, you know, you go to check. I mean, you really don't realize how often you check your, your laptop. You can still be there watching your child. And there are times when you're going to pick up your phone to see what a text is from so-and-so. Or, you know, like me, I still do business when I'm at home. And, uh, or your laptop. And he just gravitates to it. And, and it's just, and he knows how to like get his favorite Elmo video up in like two seconds. He knows he's three years old. <clears throat> and we have to like, no, it's not time now for that. We're not doing that right now. 
And, um, and I actually remember a, uh, when I was doing Camp Laszlo, which is in 2000, from 2004 to 2007 we were doing it. And it was really like the boom of the handheld stuff that was starting to come out, right? And um, I sat in a meeting with all the creators of all the shows and the head of uh, Turner, Warner, and uh, Ty Warner. And um, and they were talking about the future of Cartoon Network. And this guy was actually saying, we want every child to have a handheld device in their hand, even if they're out playing baseball, with Cartoon Network on it. And I said, and I, 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 they thought I was a real pain in the ass of this, because I said, that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I mean, it's like, come on. What, how are kids supposed to be kids completely glued to car? I understand, you know, you've got your brand and you want to do this, but is that really the future of our kids to have them glued to some screen for their whole life? Well, that story about the baseball field is quite a trip, huh? And yet this is the world that we live in now. Everyone is surrounded by screens at all times. And for most of us who grew up actually watching Rocco's Modern Life, the only screen we ever had to think about was the TV. And when our mom would yell at us to not sit so close to it. Now, I have no idea what it would even be like to grow up being entirely on the internet. Um, for myself, I didn't even get on the internet until I think I was about 10 or 12 years old. So to find out if cartoons and modern media have an effect on the way our kids view the future, I reach out to my good friend Sean Yeaton, who used to be the deputy editor for Motherboard and now is the bass player in a band called Parquet Courts. Sean has two lovely and beautiful, very, very young children, um, and I wanted to hear what he thought about Elmo and the rest of uh, our coming modern world. Sean, thank you very much for joining the Radio Motherboard podcast here. Oh, shit. I didn't realize this is a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, so when I think about uh, the modern world and technology, uh, I think of you uh, because you've taught a, taught me a lot of things over the years at Motherboard and elsewhere and in bizarre situations um, about what it means uh, to have a relationship with the modern world. And uh, I'm curious of you now. As a uh, as a dad and a rock star and all of this stuff, um, you know, looking back at Rocco, you know, what is it? Has, do you think it shaped the way you look at the world? I'm still sort of getting over the fact that like our phones have touch screens and shit on it. You know, not in like a lame kind of way. You know, I get it. Like technology moves faster and faster every day. That's something that maybe I'm afraid of in a in my own special way, but not in like a ignorant like I'm ignorant of it kind of way but then i think like well we're kind of the last generation that's at the age that we're at now that grew up without with in a world without the internet and have like you know i have memories of what that world was and a lot of those memories kind of guide me whether i like it or not subconsciously in decisions that i make you know and it i see it in a lot of parents that are the same age as me who are like oh I just, I really hope like our kids get outside and play and like, you know, it's just this world that we live in is so fucked up and it's like, well, I guess. So with the, with the show, with like, with Rocco, it's something you said previously to me about how it's like the entire life of the show, all the characters are incredibly anxious 
And uh, not to blow up your spot, but knowing that you're an anxious person like myself, like, you know, how do you, <laughs> how do you see, like, how, how does that work? I don't know. What it, it's, there's such a, it feels so realistic. Like Rocco feels like a millennial or something. Right. He's, uh, he sort of has to deal with the same kind of flaws as any non-drawn anthropomorphic or, you know, he has to deal with the same sort of bullshit that you or I would have to deal with. He's just like a wallaby with only a Hawaiian shirt on. Mm-hmm. But somehow it always sort of, it just felt so uh, relatable. You know, you can kind of tell he is pretty, uh, he's pretty stressed out about the typical kind of millennial, I mean, I guess, every generation of at a certain age you know a kind of like 20 something typical angst you know he wants to get laid he wants to have a job but he doesn't want to succumb to like the uh otherwise sort of mundane nine to five lifestyle that his parents generation uh had that he i think is kind of like resentful of so even though all he really has on on his best day is his dog who is like you know he can barely keep alive because he's never paying attention when he's fucking like about to choke on a bone or whatever uh you know he still wants a lot of the same things that you or i would want and is like crushed by and angered by the same kind of frustrations that we would be too it's almost like falling down or something you know the movie with Michael Douglas. It's like, <laughs> it's like every day of his fucking modern life, he's almost... And I think I feel like pretty regularly, there'll be a moment where he like completely loses his shit, you know? Like, I feel like there's like a moment I'm recalling in my head right now where it's like his head deflates because of how pissed off he gets or something like that. You know, Rocco, at one point, uh, ends up becoming like a like a boss of the, of the comic book store. He loses his damn mind. Um, becomes this hardcore manager. Um, and everyone hates him because he's angry, evil, like boss type, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's also the uh, the characters in there, you know. The he gets a job at uh, Conglomo, the huge, you know, conglomerate or corporation, and that all goes off the rails because everyone there is like literally a lizard uh, person who yeah. <laughs> picks their boss's nose and whatnot. Um, and I don't know, like you're talking about angst in your in your 20s. I mean, now you're a guy who uh, has worked in an office and been in bands and now is in a very successful band but has t- two kids and a wonderful wife. Uh, do you have that, like, you know, does, where does that angst go? Does it go away? Like, do you grow up? Do you get out of this? What happens? I need uh, advice. <laughs> you know, it doesn't go away. I think at the forefront the most kind of tangible or expressible anxiety that I feel in relation to what you me- what you mentioned is a, f- a fear of losing touch or like kind of being put out to pasture or whatever. You know, eventually, I, you know, growing up, my mom wasn't super technologically savvy. There's a very clear generational gap between us just even on like a like interpretation or like consumption of information level you know and uh that's always i mean that's like a fairly typical thing but 
you know, every once in a while you have the friend whose parents are like weirdly in touch or like now as the internet is the way that we share information and the way that information is shared uh, <clears throat> happens in such like a rapid fire way that like anybody can be pretty well versed in most things. I mean, I was thinking even just the other day about like how um, uh, like Spotify or iTunes music or like people all people who bought this item also bought this like the suggestive part portion of the internet uh, is like allowing people to have a passive like role in how they are interested in things because it's so easy because you can be you could search for a band that you know you like on Spotify you know you could type in like Slipknot or whatever and then it's gonna bring up Cold Chamber and Corn and all that. And maybe if you hadn't heard those bands, you didn't even have to like go through the typical process of being, you know, at Chris O'Feish's house with like, well, he's chewing on like a pacifier and shooting bleach out of a squirt gun and like flipping through his like CD case and be like, oh, I wonder what this sounds like. Um, but I think the thing that stuck out to me the most for that whole show was like, the idea of the commodification of our everyday lives um, and the one that I like the most is like the commodification of outdoor experiences and like the the life we live that isn't um, you know like trees <laughs> uh, there's you know there's an episode where they go to like go camping and it's actually like in a dome and it's basically like a mall you know um, and I'm curious uh, for you thinking about the future in which we have the dire threat of climate change but also the thought that we have you know VR and all these other like digital escapism. You know what do you what do you think about the uh, the future that's coming for us and also for uh, for your darling children? Uh, I think, and this is brought up a lot in Rocco. It's like, how can we make things easier? How can we make things faster? How can we like, you know, in a way, it's like there's always this kind of race when it comes to commodity culture to compartmentalize everything so that like we exist in a kind of like Rube Goldberg machine where everything gets done for us while we like enjoy the like spoils of the free time created by it. When in reality, it just creates more shit for us to have to deal with. Climate change and, or the kind of Venn diagram of climate change and increasingly uh, uh, more of like a, bent to like virtually experience things which is kind of bizarre because of even just like you know there there's always been a hesitation to treat um computers or uh it's there's always a hesitation to treat computers or tv or whatever media as anything other than entertainment and something to be kind of like slightly um, to question slightly, to be like, well, this is just like for our entertainment, so like, don't let, don't like stare, you're gonna like rot your brain out. It's like, well, then why does everybody have one? Why does everybody have all the things? At least hypothetically, it's just going to allow them to have tools to continue making more like fucking shit that makes things easier for everybody, I guess. I mean, I don't know, but I think that there's like a, there is a conflict even in Rocco where there's kind of like, you've got someone like, Rocco himself, who has a more uh, maybe like uh, romantic 
view of the world, you know, just quizzical or, you know, contemplative where it's like, he sees that there's more to it than just having like a job in a factory or having like rules that should apply to every individual. Like those two lizards on that show. There's like those two weird lizards who are like work at a gym or something like that. Yeah, They're always yeah. like, like, no, no, no. Like you can't do it this way. I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, George Orwell or Algis Huxley or Philip K. Dick. Like it's like having to deal with not fitting into the or questioning the validity of the rules that are being made in a world that seems to somehow work perfectly for everybody else except for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, the angst that Sean is referring to there is what many people talk about, Rocco. But I think one of the bigger points that he made, my favorite point of, out of many is the idea that the constant churn of technology is always one of convenience. We're always sold on some new device because it's going to make our life better, make our lives easier, and perhaps even make us more attractive. But what is the actual cost of that? One is the endless pace of increasing anxiety of all these bleeping and blooping gadgets that need us to plug them in and take care of them and feed them and everything. Uh, the other thing, though, is the idea that we're being continually removed from our environment, from the outdoors, and from nature. I'm not going to say that going to the beach in Oculus Rift is the same as actually swimming in the Pacific Ocean, but we do realize that the commodification of nature and the packaging of experiences of nature versus just going outside is becoming an increasing thing. That is actually one of the lessons that stuck with me most from Rocco when I was a kid. And it's one of the one thing that I wanted to ask Joe about the most. So let's find out about Joe's views on the future and how we humans are taking care of the environment that created us. It's kind of fitting that we've been sitting here and there's just been a series of people in suits walking. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you have these, you know, clone lizards in suits that are all working at, um, was it Conglomo? Yeah, which is a great name. Um, but you get the sense that, you know, having Rocco and Heifer um, both working fairly dead-end jobs when they have them, and they're looking off at these suits and they interact with them, and it feels like they're just missed out almost. It's a sense of loss of, like, not being in that part of this, you know, like boom economy. But now it's everything, right? Like, everything that we're looking at is you're either in the stream because it's racing ahead, or if you're off to the side, then you're just kind of stranded. Like, it's such a, I don't know, it's a huge narrowing, I guess, of what it is that we have to do from day to day, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the conglomo is bigger than anything. You know, it's like their motto is, we still own you. you know? <laughs> In fact, we own you more than anything ever before. You know, like, they own everything. And, which has become so prevalent. And, like, mm -hmm. it's, and everything keeps with the mergers and the acquisitions. And, you know, it's like, we're being owned by smaller and smaller amount of companies, really, mm -hmm. that, are, that are doing this thing. 
and they all want you to, to toe the, the same line. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is a battle of, of you just trying to, to, to have some sense of individuality. I think that's uh, one of the things that stuck out to me thinking about this is that the original show focuses a lot on taking lessons away from the broader world by looking at the more mundane things around us. Um, one is the episode uh, Fatal Contraption, mm -hmm. right? Where uh, it's such an obvious, it's like it's such a, it's the thing that resonates so well is that Rocco has this dream of getting this like food processing device, right? They can cook the ultimate food for him, and he's just daydreaming about this as he's eating like a sad man pizza or something, or like a sad sandwich, which I certainly have been in those positions in my early 20s, and you're like looking at ramen, and you're just like, God, I wish I just had a machine that could make something. It's a, we should have it by now, you know? Right. Um, and then of course, uh, the magical food machine just goes completely off the rails, and nothing works, and it's a disaster. But I mean, it's an entire segment, or it's an entire half episode dedicated to a food processor, basically. I mean, how does that, I mean, where is that coming from in, in your mind when you're first developing that? Things that we bring into our house end up taking over our lives, and, and then you can't get rid of them. You know, that was like what, what we're talking about in a lot of ways. But it's also like a 2001 kind of thing where the machines become smarter than we are. And so, so I grew up in the 60s where my mother was the queen of, of processed food, right? When they came out, she was the first one in the neighborhood to get a microwave, right? So I grew up eating this garbage stuff. Like, I didn't know you could actually buy fresh vegetables. I thought they all came in a little bag from bird's eye, you know, that you put boil in a bag. So, so you start to see people like, oh, okay, this is cool. You know, McDonald's is cool. This is great. And then you start saying, wait a minute, this is garbage. You know, so you start seeing people say, wait a minute, no, this is not right. So there's, there's a more of a movement on better eating. There's whole foods, there's organics, there's, you know, there's a movement against McDonald's and a movement, you know, farther away. So people start catching on. But what happens is, is that, that the, the conglomos are, coming up with all these new ways to constantly be like modifying our life and, and at first it seems like this pattern it's like first we're like oh this is cool this is great and then you're just like wait a minute no this is not right so it takes us a while it takes us a while to start figuring out I mean that's one of the strongest themes of the whole show it's kind of the the commodification of everything and the, the conglomerization of everything and you know but also how we are trying to find some sort of connection in that I think what a favorite recurring places in the whole show is uh, O-Town Mall because it's just this giant hell pit basically of chaos and yet there's like so much that just draw on there and so much hope of trying to find something there like you find a dog bowl that will fix your life you know I mean where does that where did that come from? What was your inspiration for like having the mall be like a fairly common recurring place? Well, I, I grew up in San Jose, which had a lot of malls. <laughs> I think they even had one of the very first malls in the country uh, in the in the early seventies, and um, it was crazy. 
Yeah, I went for an autograph uh, thing with the Brady Bunch there. Uh, really young. But, um, but it was just chaos. It was just the mall world. Uh, just masses of humanity, like, in this consumer frenzy. Really, it's just like hordes and hordes of people just like, I gotta buy, I gotta buy, I gotta buy this, you know. What am I gonna buy? And just the stimulus of just, and I, I get this thing when I go into malls, I call it mall eye, where <laughs> my, my eye starts twitching and watering. I, I so I mean like like anything else it just turned into this this big thing of, of that's the world the way the world is and, mm -hmm. and we do we have a mall culture mm -hmm. so. but I was shocked my daughter and I just went to Grand Central Station there's an Apple store in Grand Central Station I mean that's come on <laughs> that's crazy what is that about I, I it's just it's this iconic, beautiful piece of architecture. There's an Apple store. This is a leaf from some kind of tree. Hold it! I gotta get a shot of that. And this is an actual rock. They are found in dirt, much like the kind around here. Imagine! Oh, I just love nature. So my uh, my favorite episode. Uh, and the one that uh, that has always stuck with me a lot and shaped shaped my thought on just the way kind of the world works and you know the way I think about the world is the uh, uh, the episode is it Hutsut Ra the mm -hmm. one where they go camping mm -hmm. and of course it's fun to go camping right but they go camping and the campsite they go to <laughs> is in like a dome and there's vending machines in there and they take a motorized sidewalk to get to the campsite and everything um mm -hmm. i don't know what did where did that come from or what is that saying about our relationship with just nature in general i mean it's, again it's the theme of commodification of kind of everything but it really stuck with me the idea that we think that nature is just something that you could put in just like a little you know in a, in a dome and just go check it out I mean, where what is your relationship with the environment um, that that actually originated from uh, experiences that I used to have going to Yosemite, mm -hmm. and um, the village in Yosemite used to be like a strip mall. Mm -hmm. They they tore it down. That's not like as far as I know, or whether that was my perception, <laughs> uh, because as I, I went back recently, and it seems like they're, they're really you know you can't drive in there anymore and, and try to really keep it, which is which is progress, so, um, but a lot of our nature places have really become uh, places that you can't really do nature. <laughs> I don't know how much to put it. <laughs> because they cater to the masses mm -hmm. coming, and so the masses like luxury, and the masses don't like to, to, to hike. You know, they, <laughs> And, and they need their food, you know, at every step and every turn. Yeah, there was a, there was a hiking trail uh, in Yosemite that um, I turned a corner. It looked like we were out in the wilderness, but I turned a corner and there was a phone booth. 
on this hiking trail. And this is before cell phones, you know. It's, and uh, it's like, what the hell is this? This is crazy. Like, do we really need to make a call right now? You know, like, this, this trail is really, uh, I need to call in for a pizza. Yeah, can you can bring me pizza right here on this trail? Let's take the let's take the positive things that we can do with technology, and and uh, but still hold on to what our core values are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm kind of seeing that that there's new stuff coming up now mm-hmm. that maybe down the road we're gonna say that was not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have kept my cell phone in my pocket. I don't know. <laughs> Look what's happened to me now. So the last question I have for you is, uh, how did you come up with Rocco's shirt? Because it's fantastic. <laughs> so, <coughs> That's the big question. I've <laughs> been wondering that for 20 years. I don't know where that shirt came from. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't remember. No. I think it's like uh, I wanted him to have like a Hawaiian kind of shirt, mm-hmm. but then the world had a lot of triangles in it. No. I don't know. I was like really into triangles at the time. That's fair. <laughs> I never, uh, I, I never, you know, you just design, you just sit down and you design these things. And, it's, and then later on, people say, well, that's iconic. Yeah. You know, it's like, but um, I don't have any, any like. I just saw the vision of a triangle shirt, and I knew that the no.